to put the key back in Keystone. The end of craft beer is nigh. Nigh, I say! This time I mean it. Perhaps the best beer retreats out of Russia, and they're relieved. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, the answer to the question, what, are, what would it be like if two drunks with absolutely no legal training sat around and speculate about what the law might be like if one of them had any training whatsoever and also absolutely shit-faced? I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Kyler Zimmerman. How you doing? <laughs> we, but, so, this episode, <laughs> we might sound a little bit extra slurry to... to so, I th- if, if, if you're a fan of ours, and I'm sorry if you are, um, if you're a fan... You're How have prob- you stuck around this long? <laughs> you're perhaps used to, uh, uh, you know, early in the podcast, us sounding crisp and chipper, and us slowly slurring towards the end. You might notice that we're a little bit, uh, a, a, a little bit slurry. We're speaking more in cursive <laughs> right now. Um, at the beginning of the po- uh, podcast, because uh, we've already been out... Uh, 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 celebrating, or I guess mourning, the death of a uh, of a dear friend, um, uh, uh, Tyler. You have more connection <laughs> with this brewery than I do. Even. I do. Uh, so, if you don't live here locally in the Treasure Valley, uh, you probably have no idea who we're talking about. Uh, but if you do, uh, local brewery County Line Brewing out of Garden City uh, was just purchased by. Clairvoyant Brewing out of Boise, so none of us had that on our Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I but mean, I used to. County Line Brewing was the brewery that kind of gave me my start. I say so you've you've always been very careful about t- telling people where you work, and, and yeah. with and with and given what comes out of your face. That's there's yes. a good reason for that. Everybody here locally knows who you work for, but yeah, I appreciate that you're kind of like, eh, I'm not gonna say. Yeah. The, 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 what comes my out? opinions <laughs> don't represent the opinions of my employer. But uh, early in this podcast, yes, you did work for County Line, and yep. so uh, they were the ones who got me in onto the beer sales side of things. Uh, I appreciate everything Zach and Laura did to help me kind of really get my foot more in the door. Um, sad to see him go after seven years of in business. I was there for three. Is that it? Three, four, somewhere in there. So. Well, I guess you, you left, what, 2019, didn't you? I, I left County Line in t- February 2020. Okay. okay because right, I went to Mardi Gras. That's right. Oh, that's right. Before I started my new job. So, in March of 2020, and then the pandemic hit, and everything went to shit. So three and some change, I think. I feel like. Yeah, and I, I feel I started there in 2016. Oh, that's right. Oh, so I, a year after they had opened. I guess you weren't there the entire time they were open. Yeah, yeah. No. But, so anyway, in honor of that, what are we drinking today? So we're drinking the Hayride Pale Ale, a beer I actually had some input on when it was created. It was originally created as a collaboration beer with... Big Owls, uh, a company here. It's a national like bowling alley chain, uh, but the one locally here wanted something a nice, fun pale ale. So I basically sold them on it before this beer was ever brewed. Uh, our brewer at the time uh, mocked up a bunch of batches. I took them, and they the said, t- "A true salesman, like you, like yeah, <laughs> you're like we'll tell you what the beer we make. It'll be amazing. It'll be." So we mocked up like four batches. I took them all in and I said, let me know which one you want and we'll do it. And they did. They chose this one, 
just nice kind of northwest style pale ale uh falconer's flight and cascade two kind of og citrus style hops so many people are like what the fuck is falconer's flight uh jeremy you want to give a quick rundown on that uh, falconer's flight is actually a hop blend mm-hmm. um it and it was it was so named oh i'm without you can put me on a spot um i know it, the the founder of of one of the hop companies was also by uh, 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 his hobby was falconry, and so when he died, they they made a, uh, a they made this uh, a blend. It's a lot of it's, it's Northwest hops. I think it's 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 a lot of the seas hops. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to Seven Seas, except Seven Seas is only sea hops. This one I think has one non sea hop in it. Outside of that, Falconer's Flight and Seven Seas are basically the same fucking hop. But, I mean, it's essentially the the American hop blend. Like, especially, like, if you're talking about, yes. like, pre, like, pre-2015. The craft beer revolution American hop blend. Right. And so, I mean, I, again, I, I'm, I feel like I, I want to, the, the nerd in me goes, well, wait a minute, I want to do some research on this before I speak on it. But that's basically the story. Yes. So, we... Did up a nice, easy drinking pale ale with it. Uh, they loved it. We did a full-size batch of it. It became known as Big Al's Pale Ale. And then the state of Idaho flat out said, you can't do a exclusive beer for anyone in this state because that's considered aid to retailer. So you can get fined for that. So and we had a- immediately pumped the brakes. <laughs> Showed yeah. Big Al's the email, and we're like, hey, we're gonna, we have this on tap at our brewery. We call it Hayride. Uh, are you fine? And they're like, yep, nope, that works for us. In its heyday, there were some weeks where I'd walk in to sell it to Big Al's, and they were doing, it. they were ordering two kegs a week that week, and it was a Bud Light cake and a Hayride or a Big Al's Pale Ale cake. They were going through about a keg every 7 to 10 days. It was crushing. And then it started to fall off when we did an expansion. And uh, the relationship started to fall apart. Because it was no longer named after them. And lost that account. But if you look at the label. When the owner was talking to the guy designing the label. It was... Um, he's like, what do, what do you think? He's like, I think of my father when he was out on the tractor hauling around hay at the farm Zach grew up on. And so he kind of designed it up after the old John Deere tractor they had with his father. Originally, the label, the guy was all one color. Uh, if you actually look at the label now, the guy's wearing like a purple FFA jacket didn't get FFA's uh, permission to make it that color and basically design after, but they never caught on. Uh, I mean, that I mean that's such a small like detail that someone had to be real yeah. anal retentive to. So uh, when we had to change up where it was the basically the alcohol percentage, all that on it because uh, the original graphic design guy knocked it off from another brewery. We were like, oh, we reached out to that brewery. We're like, our graphic design guy did this. We noticed it. We we're gonna change it. Can we? Are you fine if we wait till Good graphic design guy? Yeah. Are you fine if we wait until 
uh, we run out of labels. And they're like, yeah, no, that's fine. Thank you for reaching out to us first. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, no problem. So when he changed up this, they added the purple jacket. We're like, if we're going to change one thing and have to do another plate fee and everything for the label, might as well get it to exactly how you'd want it. So, Jeremy, you want to give us a rundown on what the beer tastes like? <laughs> um, so, this is where I'm going to be a little bitch because this has never, never been my favorite. Um, and, the, and, my primary, and my primary complaint about it uh, has always been it's a little thin. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, it's got... It's it, it lightly doughy, a little bit of like a, a, a biscuity roastiness right in the middle. Uh, the sea hops come out, but I mean, the, I feel like it's always like lacking the body. Now, less so than when it first came out, but it, it always struck me as, yeah, a little thin. Fair enough. I mean, it, it's not my ultimate creation. I basically sold the idea and then said, pick what beer. <laughs> so, I mean... <clears throat> Hardly the worst beer we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> Looking at you, Bianca. Looking at you, Bianca. And it's I I, I appreciate that it's it's more of a true pale than let than a than a uh, a, a, a session IPA. Yes. Um. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's never been my favorite. Cause like even from the get go, I'm like it's just it just feels thin, which is not unusual for. But pale that's ale. part of the reason why I kind of like it is it's a little thinner. I don't want that full bodiness when it comes to a pale. A lot of times. Well, but I, I want the, I want it to go down like a fat kid on a seesaw. <laughs> but I mean, you can still have that. And Sierra Nevada is a good example. It still has. Sierra Nevada Pale is my least favorite pale ale. Oh, which one's your favorite? We we went over this probably uh, months ago. Years Oscar ago. Blues. Oh, that's right. Dale's Pale Ale. Probably, I probably think that's a little thin too. Um, but. Like, Sierra Nevada the Pale, that is the pale that I want to like, but I just, I can't. I For what it is, it is a great beer. It, they've done a fantastic job with it. But the fact that it's, it's too hoppy for a pale, there's not enough, oddly enough, there's not enough body or malt characteristic no, see, that one I think has the right amount of malt characteristic to back up the hops. I, I, I don't think it's got the malt malt backbone for the hop bill. I'll get a Sierra Nevada right now. <laughs> All right, everybody hold. I have to, I have to, I have to uh, run down to the grocery store and buy some Sierra Nevada. So I'll, I'll be right back. Uh, uh, Tyler, entertain the people while I, <laughs> for like the 10 minutes. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> so, Jeremy, what are we starting with? Because the first article you got kind of ties into... Uh, Breweries swallowing each other up or closing down? The death of craft beer news now. Uh, this is, of course, part of our ongoing series, which is basically uh, what I call this podcast. Uh, this podcast is basically news about how craft beer is dying, also with stories about weird ad campaigns for shitty beer and Tyler screaming about slushy beers and, and the delicious IPA. One quick thing before we hop into this, because uh, we talked last week on the episode oh. about Alefort. Having a death of craft beer panel, <laughs> we were mistaken. Well, um, yeah. Well, I think so. I think there's a lot of mistaken going on around that whole thing. So they had posted, and 
it, it was probably my fault for not doing a little further research and seeing if it was actually a panel or what it was that starting at Saturday at 1.30, it was the death of craft beer. And it said, craft beer survived by blah, blah, blah. And they were tapping certain beers. They're ter- uh, They're tapping like a heretic... Like one of their like Midtown Dew, which was like a Mountain Dew flavored hard seltzer. Um, Buntastic, which was from Prairie, one of their highly flavored the stouts. carrot cake. Yeah, which was pretty solid. I mean, the, the prairies are the the prairie beers are good, but they are relying a whole lot more on. So here's the straight up quote: "Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in remembrance of our dear friend Craft Beer. They are survived by pastry stout, ice cream ale, milkshake IPA." And candy sour, amen. Um, uh, so I, because Ale Fort in the past has had different panels. I just naturally assumed it was going to be a panel. I went down there on Sunday and I was like, oh, talking to someone. They're like, yeah, no, it wasn't a panel. They just tapped it on. They basically had this company who's in the process of trying to open a brewery which themselves. Is a, which is a little bit shitty because they had no idea what they were doing yes. from, from what I understand. Also, And uh, uh, they're kind of press ganged is the wrong word, but it's the first word that comes to mind. So they own this like own 80 mobile- style van that they've converted into a mobile draft system. Right. Uh, which I'm like, awesome. Love seeing that. Thursday and Friday they had it as Belgian beers. Saturday, Sunday, it was the death of craft beer. Well, so so many people would walk up and be like, so what's the death of craft beer? And they were like, oh, we're just here dispensing beer. Like, we're not. They didn't give us anything. And I'm like, oh, I I thought this was going to be a panel. And they never really knew. And so they were trying to sell this beer as the death of craft beer. Which is, you know, which is a little bit odd to craft beer festival yes without have like it would have without been one con- thing without a context. context because i'm like if you guys would have done a panel and had a couple of the beer buyers from around town a brewer uh a distributor talk about talk how- about how they're seeing craft beer numbers slump but they're seeing like growth in these certain beer styles that are basically cannibalizing what you consider craft beer. It would have been one thing because to the beer nerds, they could have been like, oh, I'll make sure I'm there. Listen to this talk, then try the beers afterwards. And to the people who don't give a fuck and just want to go there and drink, they would have still just been able to go to that thing and try the beers. It's just basically another booth. But the fact that they didn't, and then on top of it, the people... That are like, we're using this to basically save up enough money so we can start our own brewery. I'm like, man, that's really kind of fucked up. Because you're like, oh, craft beer's dying. Go check out these people that want to start a brewery <laughs> on why craft beer's dying. Um, well, and, and, I mean, it would have been better with some context. And I'm not sure what... Uh, the, 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 and, and honestly, so I was there late and I thought I'd missed something. Apparently I hadn't. But the whole thing kind of seemed a little bit bitchy to me because, like, you could either, you either, 
you either ignore it or you welcome it. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't strike me to having oh yeah, and these are the beers that are kind of these are the sh- yeah these are the shitty beers. You can try them if you want, but you just know just know that you're inferior if you're trying those beers. And I want to say, fuck you and your asshole, because my my whole thing is like, listen, I'm not a fan of pastry stouts, I'm not a fan of ice cream beers, but if you like them, God love you, go grab them. Mm. Uh, we weren't a fan of that Bianca. <laughs> we did not. Like that. If there was someone in this valley listening to this podcast <laughs> that liked that beer, I would love to talk to you. <laughs> so send us a message, and I want to know what you enjoyed about it. I'm genuinely curious. The only, I mean, the only thing that annoys me worse than, uh, uh, than, yeah, you know, than, you know, well, then the actual beers themselves is people that that uh, you know decry them. Oh my God, these are these are the worst. These this this is the end of craft beer, com- you know, completely. But also on the flip side, there's also the people that are like, this is the best thing craft beers ever produced, and I'm like, no, it's not. In my opinion, <laughs> I'm like, it's something that, yes, it, it's a very it's- narrow niche. But this is not what craft beer wanted. Well, and I, I, I mean, I, I obviously have mixed feelings. I don't like the fact that you can throw, as 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 one beer I saw uh, uh, that arrived at our shop uh, uh, this week, you can throw like, apple pies into a mash tun and make a stout out of it. I'm not a fan of that. Well, but if it's but so the carrot cake beer from Prairie, they used actual carrot cake yeah. in. Which I'm like, oh, that's kind of cheating. The Midtown Dew, which I never got to try, I wanted to try but, uh, from so, Evil Twin, but here's used a, actual Mountain Dew syrup um, in the hard seltzer. The distributor for uh, uh, so I have to I have to give them some praise because the um, the distributor for uh, uh, for uh, Evil Twin here in town uh, relayed to me this story, which was basically um, the uh, the the owner head brewer. Of evil twin or not evil twin um heretic it, it was an evil twin beer not heretic i'm thinking of different beer oh i'm thinking of different beer never mind okay never so scratch that all right scratch that from your <laughs> from your ear holes because um, you were thinking like evil three from heretic no i was thinking well i was thinking of like the 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 like the canned cocktails that heretic was doing yes and those are a completely different thing. Yes. So, I mean, you're like, well, what the hell's the story? The, the story, really quickly, now that it's in no way related to what we're talking about. The, the, the story in, in is basically that he got pressured to do, like, a hard seltzer. He said, okay, but I'm going to do a hard seltzer that's the opposite of hard seltzer. I'm going to pack it with calories and alcohol and everything else. So, I'm going to make it, like, the anti-hard Which seltzer. I had their Blue Hawaiian, yeah. like, canned cocktail. It's pretty fucking good. Because it's loaded with sugar and calories and everything yeah. else. <laughs> but, so, so, Evil Twin, not Heretic, is the one who did this. Yeah, yeah. Evil Twin is the basically, like, sister company to McKellar, because it's two brothers. Yeah. One owns McKellar, one owns Evil Twin. Turns out what, what the, the one with the Evil Twin is not the Evil Twin one. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. interesting uh, uh, but that was a little correction we had to do. Uh, from what we said last week. So, Jeremy, as you were saying. Um, anyway, um, as I am uh, 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 as I was saying, um, uh, uh, every every week, and I'm sure you've seen this as you're going through a, a, a craft beer news, um, uh, you find like four or five breweries 
always closing as you're kind of like shuffling through like, what should we talk about this week? Um, this month, it, there seems to be quite a lot of them throwing in the towel. Um, and just for fun, uh, if and if you're a particularly sick person, uh, Google brewery closing and you basically get a list of obituaries of former watering holes. Um, this month, Legal Draft Beer Company out of Arlington, Texas, um, Fort or Fourth Creek uh, out of Statesville, North Carolina, Tin Whiskers out of St. Paul, Armadillo Ale Works all out of Denton, Texas. Um, we talked about uh, a Crooked Fence right here in Boise. Uh, although to be fair, that one was on shaky ground. But all them uh, closed up. They're done. Yep, and. Today, as we mentioned, was the last day of County Line in business before Clairvoyant owns the lease and the equipment. I mean, and, and, of course, we're big fans of talking about who sold the who. Um, and, and, and at the same time, and, and I don't think and I don't think County... Well, there was, there was, what, four breweries in town listed for sale on, like, the... Like and the, County Line was not one of them. And, yeah, say, County Line, I don't think, was ever... Nope. Was not uh, among them. What... The one thing why I think they never got listed for sale, uh, and part of the reason why they sold the head brewer for Clairvoyant, used to be the head brewer for the brewery that County Line bought all the equipment from. Okay. And so he was talking to the owners of Clairvoyant and was like, hey, we're running out of beer. We need more beer. We need a bigger system. Well, let's reach out to County Line. I know that system. That's all the equipment I used to brew on. Let's see if they'd possibly be interested in selling to us. And then the conversations picked up from there. And eventually they reached an agreement. Mm-hmm. So. And then, um, well, and, 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 and rapidly too, because it was literally yesterday, they, they posted on their social media like, and tomorrow's our last day. <laughs> Which, talking to the owners, it was because... They were going to try to go for a little longer, but the landlord was like, hey, no, I can flop over the lease to them of the building just like that, but I want it to take place on April 1st. That oddly makes sense, actually. And so they were like, well, shit, like... That gives us all of 24 hours to plan our last day. And he's like... And they were like, well, you were... A great landlord to us. Like, you never really raised the rates. You worked with us through COVID. Like, we don't want to try to fuck you. So, we can make that work. I, I mean, they, listen, they, they had a hell of a crowd there while we were there. Uh, we we, we kind of snuck out as it was getting truly uh, uh, out of Wild. control. Wild. And uh, I'm looking forward to a great weekend where because uh, I actually work next door. Um. <laughs> People trying to go and they're like, wait, it's closed. Like, welcome to, welcome to the other beer place in town. That's, welcome. That's my connection. I mean, this is, uh, County Line was kind of my uh, uh, watering hole. And when we both worked, that's how I got to know the owners of County Line and how I got the job is when we were both working next door, uh, we'd go over there after we finished our shift because they were open later than our shop was. And we'd all have a beer and just talk to the owners. And it was oddly reminiscent sitting at the corner of the bar with you. Talking to the owner, drinking a beer. I was like, man, bring back the memories. <laughs> um, and, uh, I'm, it, and 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 more recently, it uh, uh, um, because 
it's it's right next door. So I, you know, uh, right now still got a baby in the house, and the, everybody's on a time to like, when do you come? When, when are you coming and picking up your demon offspring? And so I'm like, I got time to run next door, sink a beer, and <laughs> go pick up said demon offspring. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, um, we're still waiting to uh, we're still waiting on this year's, or should I say, last year's numbers from the Brewers Association. Um, Famously, the BA puts out a press release right at the beginning of the uh, put. Famously, they, the BA put out a press release right at the beginning of the pandemic that said fifty uh, percent of all breweries were going to close. Um, and I think we've unpacked that enough times um, in the past to explain why that was. While not necessarily completely bullshit, um, that's the nihilistic been, view. Well, it needed some context behind yes. it. I mean, the answer was they they had sent out a survey saying, "Hey, if you don't get any assistance throughout this pandemic, what's going to happen to you?" And fifty percent of people said, "We're going to close." Mm-hmm. And you know, and so, and then they put that out, and every news agency and their mother ran with it because easy. Because as a person who used to work for a news agency, they're lazy. <laughs> um, but. This latest crop does have some people raising eyebrows. Now, to be fair, um, I think just about every goddamn month there is some news source speculating or some fucking uh, 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 beer uh, festival speculating about the end of craft beer. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I've always taken that with a certain grain of salt, but it feels a little bit different now. Not saying that that the death of craft beer is actually here, but... The maturation is here. Well... So this comes from uh, an Axios Twin Cities article by Nick Halter, along with an article by uh, 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 Keen McGee in the Rolling Stone. Okay. Um, And a few other places here and there. Um, But the question I was kind of going into this is what's happening? Why does this feel different now? Let's talk uh, first about some factors that have been in place since we actually started this fucking podcast. Um, There have been a couple of things happening consistently over the past couple of years. Um, Number one. People drinking less beer. And number two, the numbers of, brewer, of craft breweries increasing. Um, even during the doom Bad of, formula, <laughs> if you're not sure. Even during the doom and gloom of the pandemic, more breweries opened than closed. And I'm talking about 2020 on that one. Um, which is great. But when you consider that the overall market for craft beer is, at best, remaining steady. Because... Um, well, you have to when they release the numbers for uh, beer consumption, they're talking about beer across the board. Obviously, you know they're talking grocery about, store, gas station, bars, talk- restaurants, sports stadiums, and everything from Bud Light to you know the you know the the rarest barrel aged beer you can think of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been a number of factor. There's been a bunch of factors this year that I think we have both been watching and wondering how long that this can possibly go. Um, at the, at its height, at its height, the uh, uh, um, the the uh, craft beer hit twenty five percent of, mm-hmm. uh, and that was in twenty twenty. That's the last we have numbers. We're still waiting. Yep. Again, the BA is coming out with numbers in April. Also in twenty nineteen. Right around, or excuse me, twenty nineteen they hit twenty five percent, and then twenty twenty they hit twenty four point something. Yeah, in twenty nineteen we talked about in this podcast how everyone's focusing instead of on prem or off prem, focusing on own prem. It was all about these fancy beer releases, and then the pandemic hit, 
and reminded every brewery, this is why you have off-premise. <laughs> yes, you get a shit margin selling cans into a grocery store. But you get a margin. But you get sales. And so it's curious to kind of see the correction happening right now in the shakeout because at some point everyone knew it wasn't going to be a 15-20% growth category like it has been. And, and it was going to reach the point of saturation where it shakes out some of the weaker business plans and keeps the healthier breweries. And by the way, let's, I mean, if, if, if we were to go back in time and tell, um, you know, the likes of, uh, of, of, of Grossman and, and, uh, um, I'm trying to think of like the, you know, the big name, um, uh, uh, in modern times yeah um and you know the in the hall family and and bells Mm -hmm. that craft beer would be 25 percent of the market at its height i think they would just jump up and down with glee because 25 no way we made it that yeah a quarter of the beer market that's fucking pretty impressive one out of every four beers was craft beer that's pretty fucking impressive that's ba numbers and that's their stricter uh guidelines on Mm -hmm. what is craft beer when Augustus Bush the third, his life goal was to make it, but uh, a B product one out of every two. He got to fifty in his life, and then it started falling back off. But he had one year of fifty, and that was like his life's goal. So I think if you reach out to any OG like craft beer person who started this revolution, and told them one out of four was going to be a craft beer. They would be like, that's what we're... Now, like, 30% of that is AB. No, well, I mean, this is... I mean, yeah. this is, these are the BA numbers. No, so, but... So, one out of four. And then, like, two out of four is Anheuser-Busch. Okay, fair. Yeah, yeah. And then... But, I mean, if you were, but, to, fac- if you were to factor, like, yeah, Elysian and everything else... Yeah. and then one out of four is basically imports, being like, we have a quarter of the market... I mean, and so, I mean, my point in saying that was, is that, you know, being at a quarter of the market is pretty, and in 2020, the, for the first time ever, uh, the, the amount, 2019 or no 20, no, it's 2020. Okay. Was the first time ever that the market share for craft beer dipped a little bit. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, my point in, in bringing that up is the, uh, is that we, I think craft beer has about as big of the pie as we can expect. I mean, may... I could see up to a third being the biggest ever. Yeah, but... But that's... In my in our lifetime, I don't ever see it hitting that third. But my point is, is, that, is that that's that's a good slice of the pie. Yes. But the amount of breweries has increased a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Again, I think we, you and I have been watching this trend for uh, a number of years going, how long can more and more people get into the market taking that same 25%? And s- dividing it up. Yeah. And-, and I think we've actually talked about this on here before, how we were predicting it was going to be a more regionalization of the <laughs> craft beer. You weren't going to have the coast-to-coast breweries. You were going to have your neighborhood brew pub but if you go a couple miles over, it's a different neighborhood. It was kind of Belgianizing 
the United States craft beer market. And yeah, you'd have those regional breweries. You'd have a couple of the national breweries. But for the most part, it was your neighborhood, your state, your region, and then across the country. Um, that being said, I, I do think something else is in play. And the best way I can describe it, it I, the best way I can describe it is industry burnout. Um, maybe population burnout even. Um, a lot of this general feeling of anxiety and exhaustion is ubiquitous right now across mm-hmm. all industries across. It's it's just a highly stressful, depressing time to be alive. So go out and drink beer. Um, but that's bleeding over. And there's something else unique to craft beer. And, I, and, I, and a question I started thinking about was, why did the Brianne Allen revelations come when they did and have the effect they did? Because one of the truths that got shaken out was that the discrimination, harassment, and outright assault that has been in the industry since damn near the beginning. Um, why did that not come out before now? And my theory, I don't have, I don't think there's any way to prove it, nor do I think there's, you know, you know, anything besides a, a it can be anything besides a theory. But my theory is that. In 2015, a woman in Brianne Allen's position might have taken that asshole. I mean, basically, and if you don't remember, go way back uh, uh, when I don't have the episode number, uh, as I usually do because I'm half in the bag. Um, but she was working, she was helping build up a, a, a new brewery. Some guy made an asshole comment about women brewing beer. and Which women historically were the brewers. And... You know, she went on and she went on Instagram saying, "Has anybody experienced discrimination in the workplace in craft beer?" And holy shit, the floodgates opened. She pulled her finger out of a dam and just <laughs> watched it. Um, but my question was, would a woman in Brianna Allen's position in 2015, you know, have no have you know would would have made that comment and had the response that she did? I think that. Several years ago, she would have taken that comment from that random dude on the chin. There was an optimism and a sense that this industry was changing things. Women, people of color, other disenfranchised groups likely received roughly the same amount of grief, but they just carried on. And that, and that was kind of what was going on. That is my biggest gripe with the beer industry. Not that she made that, because I think that's awesome she made that. It's There is that standard set up, and I feel... It still holds true today, but even more for the minority groups back in the earlier days, it held even truer is in craft beer, you were replaceable because everyone sees this as a fun, hang loose kind of industry. There are how many homebrewers that would love to be a brewer or work on a packaging line or do this or do that with a brewery to say they work in craft beer. And so there's always that expectation. And part of the reason why a lot of companies can get away with paying their employees like shit. Because they go, hey, if you don't like it, you can get to step in. I have 10 people. Two of them might be as good as you. Two, One may be better. And the other seven. Slightly worse. But- slightly worse, but manageable. And... I can pay him less, if not the same, as you. So, shit or get off the pot. <laughs> and you go, you, you, it just, 
and it's never the company's outright saying that. But the the, it's, the implication you is know there. because every person that comes in goes, I would love to work here. Well, and that's and that's kind of where because I mean there's this idea that there is this revolution, and I think that at this point in time the revolution is either dead or has achieved its goals. And I'm actually more of like the revolution achieved what it's trying to do. Twenty five percent of the market. You know, uh, uh, flavorful beer is now ubiquitous in uh, in 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 American. You walk into any bar, there's some sort of go craft, to, whether it's AB owned craft or go to the go to Podunk, uh, uh, Mississippi. You're gonna find Fat Tire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, however you want to, but however you want to look at it, either whether it's dead or achieved its gold, um, that spirit and that that you're that spirit that of like we're changing things and we're part of a, a fun industry it has left the building and we're left with an industry that's increasingly low on resources opportunity or any real tangible benefits short of the free beer aspect which that's a thing so um, you try to pay rent you you do yeah you can't pay rent in free beer i've tried um the point is is that's only a matter of time before someone like brian allen says she's fed up and hundreds of thousands of others agree mm-hmm. and it's not just employees in my conversations out there in beer twitter i'm seeing more and more owners working 80 hours a week for the fifth fucking year uh, a lot of them having to get second jobs we've also talked about child care in the craft beer industry which is a yeah, which where is, where which, like even owners are being like i have to raise my kid in the brewery which isn't the worst place but we talked about one of the founders of Brooklyn Brewing Company, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a a woman who basically raised her kids in a playpen amongst the uh, amongst the uh, pack and play in the fermenters, which is which is a kind of a charming story. But I mean, at the same time, like not not the best, not not ideally how you. I mean, that's that's something you do if you have no other choice. Yes. Um. And so, uh, and actually, um. One of the uh, and one of the uh, uh, the the owners of uh, one of the breweries I mentioned, um, they had to get a second job. Uh, the uh, legal brewing, they were working a second job back at their engineering degree that they or engineering degree engineering uh, firm that they left in order to pursue craft beer. So the the whole idea that early on, you know, uh, craft beer was off was kind of the uh, uh, the, the domain of forty something uh, corporate people mm-hmm. who were looking for a Way out. Yeah. Well, a lot of these people started to do that then had to go back to the same jobs they just left. I was going to say, you're even seeing this in craft beer bars around the valley. Uh, I know, like, Kopenroth's Growlers here in the valley. He left Micron. I was like, I'm going to open a craft beer bar. A couple of years in, was like, okay, this, this won't pay for everything it ain't paying the bills so basically told his son hey keep running the business i'm gonna go back to work for micron and try to replenish basically the retirement that i cashed out to open this and survive um add to that the increase in supplies need to make beer everything from barley to hops aluminum cans not to mention what it takes to get those things to and from the brewery add to that in fact uh um the, the 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 business in the bars and restaurants hasn't quite returned in a lot of places. Uh, this year, at least from my perspective here in the Valley, it's back. And I, I'm seeing those numbers come back 
hard. Uh, but I saw a quote on beer Twitter that said, it's easier to get on the shelf than off. And well, I think that really reverberates true, especially in this topic, because so many breweries are like, we'll celebrate. Hey, we're now in this store. But they don't realize you can't actually celebrate till you've gotten so many reorders because velocity on the shelf right. is what keeps you on the, the shelf. shelf. And shelf space is at a premium. Um, but, I mean, well, and, and, and in some places it has, but you like, it talks about, uh, the article talks about, and this is from the Axios article, talks about tin whiskers. The owner, uh, Jeff uh, Moriarty, talks about how a lot of people are still working from home. And as a brewery nestled right in downtown St. Uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, mm-hmm. uh, they're suffering greatly from just that lack of traffic. You know, people... Stopping in for a pint on their way home. Stopping in for a pint on their way to work. I don't know. Maybe. Um, or at lunch. The lunch beer. But, uh, um, but I mean, that traffic the downtown has never really returned in a, in a place like St. Paul. Um, Even in Boise, it hasn't fully returned. Um, legal Brewing actually failed to make the rent since September of last year. Um, so they're not so much closing down as they're being evicted out of the building. Oh, but al- shit. But also closing down. Um so what does this mean for the industry? Well, this is where I'm going to be weirdly optimistic. Um, and there are a couple of promising trends. First, the pandemic has changed uh, the craft beer consumer in a way that I think is actually positive for the industry. Um, at its height, fuck, you have breweries that don't even have a flagship beer. They just make new beers every batch. And while novelty is great, at some point you have to realize that they aren't perfecting your craft. You need a handful of core beers. As much as you're just loading a shotgun and firing at the wall over and over again and just hoping something sticks. Um, and the drive to stand out and and try and just load beer with every conceivable flavor. Here's where we're going back to the death of craft beer thing again. But, um, but breweries were, you know, they were... They were t- t- it was insustainable. Even you had to know at the time to mm-hmm. to keep that demand for novelty going, and the pandemic sent people running back to their old staples, and that stuck to a certain degree. Um, the Rolling Stone article talks about, and I've seen this myself: people returning to flagship IPAs, uh, tried and true, perfected over time, flavorful, bitter, but still highly drinkable IPAs, and reliable. Doesn't matter if they buy a twelve pack or a six pack. It's going to taste the same. And there's a higher level of education. I was and still am worried about the quality of the product being put out there sometimes. I mean, I, I famously, uh, uh, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I went to the, I, I was a judge at the Best of Craft Beer Awards. Yep. And the first round of IPAs, you know, we're supposed to send three three beers, you know, the three top beers to the next round. We right. act, Can we not? Yeah, we actually asked if we had to send three because we had... 12 IPAs or 12 or 15 IPAs in front of us. These are all from breweries, you know, professional breweries. to a competition. And we're all, we tasted all these are going, none of these are, none of these are all that good. Mm -hmm. And, and which was just like mind boggling at the time going. I also saw something or was talking to someone. I can't remember if it was beer Twitter or I was talking to a buyer that said they had actually heard. I want to say it was beer Twitter uh, that they talked to a brewery and it was 
basically they've stopped doing as many adjunct like barrel aged mm -hmm. stouts because they're more and more people were just gravitating towards the plain barrel aged stout and we're like we don't care if you throw a hundred pounds of vanilla per barrel in like we just want the beer and the barrel we don't want all these adjuncts and so it's almost like that paddle ball game where you hit the ball out and it's on a string and it starts coming back and we're in that coming back um, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think at the time, you know, people got excited, like, oh, and they added vanilla and they added cinnamon, and you know, everybody's done that. And, and there's, yeah, you're. We're, there's we're, only so many things you can add to a bourbon barrel. Um, and by the way, I mean, I think people are are uh, are getting a little bit more conservative about where they're going to spend their money, as the Rolling Stone article mentions, and it mirrors what I've been seeing. Whereas when beer was four or five dollars a glass and disposable income was high. Yeah, you might have been more likely to take a chance, but and if your beer was kind of shitty last time, well, who knows? You might have figured it out, you know, since then. And you know what? Sometimes they did. Um, but now, now when beers are seven, eight dollars um, and gas is six, guess what? People ain't gonna take the chance that you had gathered your poo poo finally, and they're gonna go to the place they know is good, has been consistently good, and and by the way. Uh, um, West Coast uh, IPAs are on the rise again. Classic styles are on the rise again. And lagers. And we've talked about this earlier in the year, and I'm seeing it play out. There's always going to be more of a market for... I mean, there's, there's always going to be weird... There's always going to be a market for weird experimentation. I'm not saying that, you know, the, that, the, that, the, that the pastry stouts and the ice cream stouts have no place and that they're going away. I'm saying that... But they're that, not flagships. Um, I'm saying that uh, I do see a future where a well-run brewery comes out with small batches... For their tap room of weird shit like that. And has three to five core beers. And then the rest of the beers to fill their eight to ten handles are weird one-off shit that it's a one and done. Exactly. I mean, like, hey, we, 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 we made this IPA with vanilla and cherry juice and fucking fruit we found at the farmer's market. We don't even know what the fuck it is, but we just threw it in. And we can never recreate it. And, it's draft only. And, and by the way, we've got a half barrel of it and the rest... Well, and the rest of the they have is just the range of well-made beer, and that's how they make their money. The industry is maturing. That's how. That's what this whole like now almost uh, uh, hour-long rant is about. Um, the industry is maturing, and that's how I feel. I uh, feel about it now. 2015, 2017, That was the industry's equivalent of its twenties. Out late, getting wild, throwing up in a dumpster before sleeping in said dumpster. Um, now it's approaching the equivalent of a person in their thirties, calming down, trying to get their shit together. Stopping some of the more stopping some of the more destructive activities. Uh, does that mean a less exciting industry? Yes, but uh, also a more stable and frankly functional industry. Hundred mm -hmm. <laughs> percent. Tyler, uh, I think we've buried the lead. What What do you have for us today? Because people are like, "What about uh, it, didn't Didn't we read something about a certain brewery getting a huge payout, but not as big as they wanted?" Uh, so last week we talked about how it was the final day of the trial for Stone versus Molson Coors in the Keep the Key in Keystone case. Uh, sure enough, it had to be our luck. Like a day later, uh, at the day we released our episode, they the jury had finally finished deliberating. Take a little more time, you fucks. <laughs> at least build up the suspense. Yeah. <laughs> at 
Listen, you're, you're going to be sequestered in a hotel room. You have, like, HBO and and a pool and preferably and some, somewhere you can masturbate. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the jury came back and awarded Stone $56 million uh, in the case and found Molson Coors to be in violation of Stone Brewing's trademark. Which you're like, oh, that's a great deal. Yeah, but Stone was asking for 250 Let me double check. Two, I mean, it was, it was more than $200 million. Yeah, it was over $200 million. Uh, in $216 million uh, to cover past and future losses as well as corrective advertising. And they said at least $50 million of that would be for corrective advertising. <laughs> so uh, so a- when they awarded the fifty-six million dollars, I saw Stone tweeted out a W. Everyone was like, "Oh, that's such a great deal for Stone." I was like, "Well, either Stone way overshot how much they were going to need for corrective advertising, or the jury basically said, yeah, they violated your trademark,' but we don't think they violated it." As much as you said they did, which so actually, I think it's probably the right answer. Uh, which, to be honest, I I think this is, and we had talked at the end of the last podcast. If they would have been awarded the two sixteen, I wouldn't have been surprised. If they were awarded a smaller amount, I wasn't going to be surprised. When I saw the fifty six million, I was like, "That seems correct. That seems that, correct. That seems like a good amount." Uh now I have no idea where the other two hundred million they have to come up with to pay investors is going to well, come that, from. And that was my and that's my big question. I'm looking at that, going, are they? I mean, the the question. I don't think either of us know the answer because we are not uh, on a Stone's board of directors um, as much as we've asked. Um, Greg Koch, we can be on your board of directors. Uh, just pay me a mill a year, and I'll be on your board of directors. <laughs> Get rid of the delicious IPA forever, <laughs> and I'm in. I was just about to say, like, oh, you'd be on for if they just got rid. Anywho, um, um, the, the the point is, is that uh, it they're in a bit of trouble, and if they were relying on a really big payoff to uh, to keep them afloat, also, this wasn't it. I want to know what the lawsuit bill was for this. Well, because I'm like, if you got fifty six mil. Can you drop 30 mil on a lawyer? I mean, that's a lot for even a lawyer, but... But, uh, I, I don't know how much they would have spent. But I'm like, I mean, that 56 mil, unless... And the article the articles I've read hasn't specified. Unless a part of the deal was, oh, Molson Coors also has to pay for the legal fees, the court costs. Which wouldn't be unheard of. No. Um... And again, this is where this is where my, uh, my opening comes in. Two guys, absolutely no legal trading, speculate uh, trading on the legal market. Yeah, uh, but I'm pretty sure that the, even the most uh, 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 you know hardcore lawyer is not going to ch- charge a million dollars a year. <laughs> no, but it was a four year long case, so you're battling in court for four years long. Even I think, like most personal injury lawyers, I think the skeeziest of lawyers. <laughs> Basing this on personal injury lawyers. <laughs> charge. Because personal injury is the only type of lawyer that doesn't charge unless they win the case. Correct. 
So, the one bright spot. Uh, <laughs> but I think they charge like 5 or 6% if they win it. Correct. So, 6% of $56 million. <laughs> oh, I've never had my, one of my openings like proven correct. So, <laughs> so. is a, almost... Three and a half million dollars. I don't think that's how they structured that. I think they had like reputable lawyers that got paid by the hour. I mean, it's an, stone. An, an obscene amount of money per hour, but still. Not. <laughs> so at the most, let's let's say they it cost them three mil. Okay, it's four years of back and forth, discovery, research. Okay, let's say at most it costs them $3 million to bring this lawsuit. So you got $53 million. Their own estimate, they've got $3 million over the corrective advertising they're going to have to do. And that's if they didn't have to pay any court fees as well. Correct. And also, they saw the investors going, so where's our where's our money? Where's our $246 million? <laughs> but, I mean, that was my big question. It's like, okay, but that's not enough for... I mean... Stone. That's not the bailout you were hoping for. Well, and to be fair, I think if you were hoping for a bailout, if you if you were hoping for this court case to bail you out, then you were delusional. Which the one nice part is, it's as odd as it is to say, it's the little guy taking it to the big guy. Well done, Greg Coke. Right? And well- it's proving that you have to be overly protective. Of any trademark you have, especially in beer. Absolutely. Jeremy, what do we got next? Bad Russia. No beer for you news now. Um, Heineken and Carlsberg uh, this week both announced that they were joining hundreds of other uh, uh, companies, pulling their business operations out of Russia in response to the invasion of Ukraine. I'm pretty sure the only company left over there, because Johnson & Johnson just pulled out the same day as well uh, for personal products, because they said... Well, we're not going to pull out because everyone needs, like, shampoo and that. It's not just... People over in Russia don't support this and still need it. I was going to say, there, there, there is a two sides to this coin. It was like, but people, the people in Russia are still people and they may, not, may or may not support Putin. Mm-hmm. And they also need to wash their genitals. Uh, <laughs> the one company that is still held out, would you like to guess? I... I... Oh, what's a what? What's an evil uh, Blackwater? I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, I think Pepsi finally pulled out. I'd have to double check on that. But Pepsi, owned, when the Soviet Union collapsed, they took as part of payment like all their tanks, and so like they had like one of like the twentieth largest military was what, Pepsi. Fuck, fucking Pepsi. <laughs> Uh, because the Soviet Union couldn't afford to pay for Pepsi over there for their people. So they traded tanks. In. Uh, I think Pepsi finally pulled out. I'd have to double check. But Burger King oh, is I, the I, last holdout because all their franchisees over there. Burger King, unlike McDonald's, doesn't own the land. And so their franchisees were like, nope. And Burger King's like, you're right. We'll keep taking our franchise fee. People gotta eat. And McDonald's was like, we own the land, so we're shutting you down. And we'll open up after your country stops fucking up. <laughs> and the franchisees were like, oh, I, I guess we'll accept that. 
Uh, but Burger King didn't have that, so Burger also, King's the one holdout. Also, fun fact: Burger King, the uh, available at every U.S. military base, they have a they have a contract. With every military base. So if you go to any military base, you're going to find Burger King. <laughs> well, funny enough, there was a race to space with Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> which all the astronauts hated. Because you can't burp in space. Because the carbonation will make you burp. But there's no gravitational pressure to oh. keep your vomit down. So if you burp... You puke. So, when they set that up, Coke had to create a non-carbonated version. And then Pepsi got wind of it and was like, Well, this is un-American that you're letting them do this without us. And so, Pepsi created one and sent up... We got tanks! (laughs) And and sent one up. And the government was like, Well, I guess we gotta allow this too! And... All the astronauts were like, we have to drink this for a photo op? You're joking, right? And we're like, this tastes terrible from both companies. Because there's no carbonation. There, we If it makes us burp, we're going to vomit or shit ourselves. Like, uh, I guess what we're saying is, it, you are owned by like four companies. Make peace with this. So everything we say is... Anyway. <laughs> However... Uh, um, when it comes to Carlsberg, um, the people of Russia breathe a sigh of relief, saying they suffered enough under the oppression of dictatorial regime, restricting free speech and free expression, and frankly, a shitty beer wasn't making things any better. Uh, Carlsberg, probably not the best beer ever, as we've reported. Um, glibness aside, um, the move actually is going to hurt Carlsberg quite a lot uh, through their ownership of uh, Russia's largest brewery, Baltica. Uh, oh, I forgot. Carlsberg uh, controlled 25% of the Russian beer market. And although it only accounted for 10% of their total revenue due to a effort due to a, a sluggish Russian economy and al- an effort to control alcohol consumption and the fact if you live in Russia, beer just ain't going to cut it. Yeah, at the best of times. And now it's not is not the best of times. Um and there's a reason. I mean, there's a reason that that country perfected the uh, uh, the hundred proof spirit. You can drink like fucking water. That has no taste. And you can just <laughs> slam. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Also, one thing I saw: Carlsberg, and I don't know if you're going to hit on this. Carlsberg and Heineken were hesitant to pull out for one major reason. I don't think I did. Well, I think well, th- there was a. I don't know. So Am the gonna- big reason they cited. Why they had held out till this long to pull out was because uh, Putin had made a declaration. Basically, any company that pulls out, the Russian government can declare as their property. Yes, that... So, they were like, well, if we pull out, they can take over this brewery with basically all the equipment for nothing... Make their own state-sponsored brand to help fund their military expansion. Kind of like Fidel Castro did with the distilleries down in Cuba. What forced Bacardi out when they forcefully took over Bacardi um, in Cuba. And told their owners basically, you can get on a boat or we can shoot you. This is our distillery now. Uh, 
And so they left, and then they created their own Havana Actually, Club and used that to help sponsor themselves. And so Carlsberg and Heineken were like, well, we saw this happening. <laughs> Which, if you want to hear an interesting podcast on that, Business Wars from Wondery about Havana Club versus Bacardi really dives into the distillery side in Cuba. Wonderful. Um, I actually did mention Heineken was uh, considering that. I don't know why I didn't mention that Carlsberg, because it sounds like Carlsberg had more of a presence there. And maybe it was, I just read the article and they lumped both together. And it was just Heineken mentioning that. I don't know. I mean, but they, I mean, none of the articles mentioned that too. Other than I think Heineken did say they were worried a little bit about nationalization of their of their resources. But um, and also, I mean, Heineken is also pulling out. Uh, it was the third largest brewer in Russia, but uh, only two percent of the company's sales. So not a big deal for them to pull out. Um, and so I guess, uh, they can't get Heineken, which I'm sorry about that. And they can't get Carlsberg, which. Are you really that upset? I'm going to say, I don't, I don't imagine that that's going to be a, a, a terrible. The Baltica, uh, I could see. Well, I mean, but I, I, it, now that you mention that Baltica may be, I mean, they may have just go ahead and cut that a lot. It may be nationalized as it being a Russian brewery, but. But. If I'm pulling out of my facilities, yes, I'm going to leave my facilities. I'm torching every fucking hard drive in that bitch. <laughs> I'm drilling holes. I'm lighting it on fire. No recipe is going to fucking stay. So good luck trying to fucking figure that bitch out. You're also Carlsberg. You've never actually seen a recipe. So, <laughs> so but like... Listen, if you're Carlsberg and you've brought your sanitation processes over to Russia, you've done enough damage, I think. <laughs> but I'm saying, do does Russia actually have access to the Baltica? Uh, none of the articles I read, like, I mean, all they basically said that they're pulling out and here's their percentages. And So, they, here's Russia what, may be able to nationalize and here's Baltica it, brand, but is it going to taste the same? Probably not, because... One thing I can say about global brewing conglomerates, they're protect, protective over their recipes. And Looking also, at you, Imbev. It's also Russia. The, 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 just bring them the vodka. Yeah. Just We need vodka now. We don't need your fucking beer. Uh, Tyler, what else you got for us? Well, we're getting into beer for good. Dogfish Head and Patagonia clothes makers. We've talked about how multiple times of Patagonia on this podcast where they were suing ABM Bev for their Patagonia brand beer because it was a straight knockoff of Patagonia. Pretty much. Uh, Patagonia working with Hub Brewing out of Oregon uh, on some beers, but they're working with Dogfish Head on their newest beer called uh, it's the Patagonia Provisions Carenza Pills. So, April 2020, uh, they reached uh, out to breweries and reach, got into the beer. Uh, so, uh, they recently just partnered with Delaware's own Dogfish Head, one of the biggest brewing conglomerate owned by Boston 
Beer. Famously. Yeah. <laughs> merger. Sure. Well, no, uh, the, 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 I mean, they called it a partnership. It wasn't yes. merger. They, they, they own the... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a climate-conscious beer. <laughs> um, so Carenza Pills is a German-style pills made with organic ingredients, including barley, hops, and, of course, Carenza. It's, uh, the Carenza is a grain that possesses a nutty, buttery flavor. Uh, ooh, buttery. Oh, ooh. That's where I was like, eh, that might not. Knowing okay. Dogfish Head, they've, they've done a good enough job where they'll make it where it's just that nuttiness coming through. Fair enough, okay. But it's a revolutionary american sourced wheat like grain that's grown as a sustainable crop um it basically happens to be higher in protein and fiber than other types of wheat but takes the carbon out of the air transitions it through the plant and down into the soil as a sustainable crop um and it improves the health of the soil through planting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, it is almost a carbon neutral or carbon negative beer they're making. So if you're looking for something to have and you enjoy Patagonia or you enjoy Dogfish Hep and you want to kind of be eco-friendly in your drinking, this is the perfect beer for you. <laughs> because it helps promote the grain that can almost kind of revolutionize beer in reducing the environmental impact of greenhouse gases. Right. I mean, it's, I, I, I do enjoy uh, uh, experimenting with new grains. And, yeah, that's encouraging the ar- uh, agriculture of, of, you know, sustainable crop. Good on them. I'm like, if they can adapt more... If they can adapt a two-row barley form that can pull the carbon from the air down into the soil to help soil, I guess what we're saying that is, could be a fucking money maker. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that I mean, you can you could drink this planet back to a uh, uh, to sustainability. Um, yeah, I'm like, if you could do a two-row barley over a wheat that could be carbon neutral or carbon negative, I don't know many craft breweries. That wouldn't be like, yeah, I'll pay a couple extra bucks more a pound to make sure we're helping the ozone. Dude, are you an alcoholic? No, I'm an environmentalist. I'm an environmentalist. environmentalist. I'm, I'm, I'm shaving. I'm shaving. I'm shaving it. I'm shaving the earth. I'm shaving the earth. And and and, and every every pint, I every pint I drink, you you you're gonna be shankful. You're gonna be shankful. <laughs> Can you breathe easy right now? Yeah. Just, Cause that's because I drank. Cause cause of me, okay. Sh- 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 sorry, I peed on your dog. <laughs> it's getting easier. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting way easier to pretend I'm drunk. Cause I'm <laughs> Tyler, you got anything else for us today? <laughs> I do. Uh, AB InBev lost the sports sponsorship. Oh no! Hear me cry in my beer. A weep, a weep, a weep, a weep. A weep, a wop, a weep, a wop, a weep. Uh, well, so last year we actually talked about different, like, craft beer in ballpark stadiums. 
Um, and how they had kind of a how Big Beer had kind of a stranglehold on it. Yes. Yes. Uh, so the Chicago White Sox uh, just announced uh, because Major League Baseball has their opening day next Thursday, April seventh. So I may be a little drunk when I come in here. Uh, they just recently discontinued their partnership with Goose Island, uh, which held the naming rights to the right field stadium seating section (laughs) called Goose Island. And the section above that was held by Revolution Brewing out of Chicago, Illinois, an independent craft beer. Damn. Uh, They lost that as well. Goose Island had actually done a specific beer called the White Sox Gold Nail that debuted in 2020. Yes, this I this I did read about. Yes, uh, and they love the fans loved the design of can which played off current and vintage team logos. Uh, they said it felt like someone who actually cared about the White Sox was responsible for the art, uh, but. The contract ran out. Both Goose Island and Revolution Brewing had a four-year contract that expired at the end of last year. Uh, And they did not reach a deal. Uh, The article I found, they hadn't fully announced. It was speculated Molson Coors, uh, who was the sponsor up until this last four-year deal. Uh, A day or two after this article... It was announced it was Molson Coors who won the bid. So the Rev, either the Revolution Brewing section or the Goose Island section will now be a Miller High Life section again. Uh, oh, thank God. It took a four-year pause, but they paid, who knows, uh, none of the sums what? have been released. Once again, uh, uh, all the big companies own you. That's what we're basically telling you in this episode, mm-hmm. very drunkenly um, and, and 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 gradually. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm just saying, if you're a Chicago White Sox fan and you don't like Miller Light, Miller High Life, or any Molson Coors products, uh, strap in because it's going to be a long ride this season. Oh, you're baseball fans. You'll drink anything we put in front of you. Let's just let let let's be honest. So, uh, Tyler, anything else for us this week? Uh, one final thing. Uh, I signed up for Andrew Dill, uh, the owner of Libco Brewing. Um, his um, sticker sale, which includes a comic, a lifetime discount, some beers, possibly sent to you. Uh registered for that it's on sale through april 3rd spots are going quick it's 32 bucks i'd recommend supporting a friend of this podcast if you can and especially if you're planning a trip to maryland that discount probably come in handy or if you live in maryland i don't know we might have a couple i was gonna say if you live in maryland 100 percent hook it up andrew's awesome excited to see what he can uh, produce yeah check so. check out that uh, interview back in episode 85 um worse comes to worse you get some cool stickers out of the deal uh which i mean if you're like me and if you're listening to this podcast you're probably a little bit like me you've got some place in your house where you put beer stickers on everything yep and, and 
I mean, you're helping a guy fulfill his dream of opening a brewery. What is what could be better than that? Um, and that has been uh, it's all beer. Uh, the drunk as fuck. <laughs> uh, 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 if you want to get a hold of us and tell us that you guys should never, you guys should be at least a little bit sober when you start this podcast. You get a hold of us at uh, it's all beer. We, we post all of our stories that we use to make this podcast on uh, Twitter at it's all beer one, um, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I post pictures of random shit. And uh, uh, updates on our uh, uh, podcast when I can be buggered uh, it, at It's All Beer. Uh, if you want to tell us to stop drinking so much before the, the podcast started, well, uh, piss off, wanker! It's All Beer. We're grieving now, okay? We're grieving now. Uh, it's All Beer at gmail.com. And uh, um, and if you want to leave us a rating, including like good, but occasionally they get way too uh, blasted on the podcast, uh, you can do that on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, or on uh, on uh, uh, Stitcher, or on uh, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. See, I can still get through this uh, like spiel that I do at the end of sort of, kind of. It's fine. We're, we're fine. I mean, if I leave, it's Jeremy. <laughs> that's. I used to have the, like a list back in the day. Now I can just kind of do it. Anyway, that'll be quite enough for us. Uh, I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. Uh, uh, R.I.P. Z- County Line. <laughs>